Flying Bull Productions presents Laugh, Literature, and Film. Welcome to the good stuff. Yeah. Slap Podcast, episode 202. Driving into the end of the year, getting ready for our uh, end of the year wrap up, our number one shows, our favorite shows, favorite movies. Yeah, not too many more reviews for the rest of the year. Not too many more reviews. There are still a lot of movies we have to go out and see. Right. I'm looking forward to that as much as I was looking forward to, to this week's show. Oh, over there is one of your hosts, Mr. Ryan Bull. How are you, sir? Howdy. I'm the other host, Richard Lusk, and this is the Laugh Podcast. So, uh, this is a show where we talk about movie that you're probably really comfortable with, a whole movie <laughs> universe. You haven't made any uh, sort of hidden your your feelings about this movie and this movie universe. And I think that's a good thing. Last year's uh, review of episode seven was one of our most highly rated episodes. Oh, it was A lot it? of downloads. I have students constantly stopping me in the hallways to talk about Star Wars. Okay, so so we're looking forward to this show then because mm-hmm. you're obviously you're going to be able to say a lot of good things about Rogue One, a Star Wars I'm story. Obviously, is this going the movie? To be able to say a lot. Is this the movie that pulled you into the Star Wars universe? The, no, this this isn't the movie that bridges the gap for you. Bridges what gap? The gap between liking and disliking. <laughs> no, uh, I, I, I this movie reaffirms all my feelings about Star Wars. All right, all right, hold on now, Mister. Which Foley. which can be a good thing if you like Star Wars. And a bad thing if you don't. Well, this is supposed to be a, a movie that, that appeals to broader masses. Supposed to be able to bring in an, a new generation, a new breed of Star Wars fans. Really? Fan favorites, yeah. Okay, I thought these standalone films were more for the purists. In a, you know, like episode seven was supposed to be the one that lit a thousand children's imaginations on fire. No, I thought that was supposed to be the one that does more fan service than than this one. Uh, oh, okay. Either way, uh, so this is uh, Star Wars, uh, a Star Wars story, Rogue One, or Rogue One, a Star Wars story, uh, directed by Gareth Edwards, um, starring a number of brand new actors to the to the to the franchise, and then some some old actors too, <laughs> which I guess we'll have to talk about. Although you know more of what's been spoiled than I do in terms of uh, characters and characters that show up. But then again, you don't know who those characters yeah. were from the original Star Wars, so you had a very you probably had a very different take on them, which I want to get into and ask you about in a minute. This was um, directed by, as I said, Gareth Edwards, who previously did Godzilla, and his first movie was Monsters, which you mentioned in last week's show he made on his... I don't know if you mentioned this or not, but he, he did all the special effects mm-hmm. on his own. He actually did them on his laptop. So he had a laptop that he carried around and he did all the special effects work for. Low budget sci-fi movie. Um, this arguably is the, I mean, as I, I can't imagine with the exception of maybe Avengers, another movie this year that had as high a budget. Yeah. I mean, it's clearly around, It's it's got to be around 200 million. Oh, I bet it's north of that. I bet it's closer to three. Um but yeah, I mean, this guy's had a tremendous career arc. He's only done really three major features, and each one has been much larger than the last one. I mean, he was given the reins on Godzilla, and 
we had some issues with the plot of that movie, but action and visually, that movie mm-hmm. was stunning. Yeah, um, that's what you say. Well, I don't know if I had anything good to say about that movie. Okay. <laughs> but I, I can't remember as much. I, I know it made a bigger impact on you than it did me. I actually liked Monsters. I saw it recently, but I don't think very many people have seen it. Do you think more people will see it now? Uh, yeah, if it's available on Netflix, mm-hmm. sure. They can. Isn't that how you saw it? You through a streaming service? Yeah, either Netflix or Amazon Prime. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I've been big on the director since Monsters. I saw it when it first came out. Well, this is written by Chris Weitz and Tony Gilroy. Uh, Christopher McQuarrie uh, has some um, uncredited screenwriting that he did for it as well. You, you know him from Edge of Tomorrow and Usual Suspects, I think. You're yeah. big on big fan of his. Jack Reacher, Way of the Gun. Oh, that that... that is going to defeat a, a oh, I think theory made, I'm going to throw out later. I think he made a million dollars, but he doesn't get a credit. He got he did all the mini reshoots that they had going on. It's a script doctor of sorts, mm-hmm. I guess. A lot of people do that, uh, which is interesting for him because without the credit, he won't get blamed if the movie fails, but he gets a lot of credit if the movie is successful. So my question to you is, was this movie successful as an, a piece of entertainment? I was not entertained. I, I didn't find a whole lot to enjoy about this movie. Um, in fact, I kind of got a little upset while I was watching it because I feel like I was given a false bill of sale leading up to this film. Um, this movie deals with the uh, rebellion's attempts to steal the Death Star's plans. They're, you know, the blueprints for it, which is apparently in the scroll of the uh, Episode Four film. Well, it's what starts off the yeah. entire Star Wars franchise. It's the it's MacGuffin, right? Yeah, basically. So, this movie flushes out that whole thing, and this was described to me as a heist film, and I don't know, it didn't feel real heisty. It, it just felt like, let's throw all the Star Wars stuff up on the screen, you know, let's have some hand-to-hand combat, let's have droids and robots, and, you know, let's have TIE fighters fighting each other, mm-hmm. throw in some uh, classic faces from previous Yes. films and you know that's star wars now i mean that's that's at least what i got when i watched episode seven but seven at least had some humor and some moments of levity i i didn't think this had much huh i found more humor in this than i did in episode seven wow the tone was very different there was a lot this tone was a lot more serious mm-hmm. uh and it thought that it was doing some weighty things i think owing to the uh the the nature of the mission and also with respect to episode seven, they're doing, you know, universe serving. So, I mean, we know there's going to be another set of movies coming after that. This movie doesn't necessarily have that. We we've already had we already have the episodes that it uh, is leading to. I guess this would be episode uh, three point five or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that was going to be one of my between. questions. It's sort of to bridge the gap in there, but it answers a lot of questions people have about how the the uh, Rebel Alliance got the Death Star plans anyway. And I think the answer to that question is satisfying as they set it up in the movie. I mean, it comes in the first 10 minutes and I don't know if it's a spoiler or not, but do, do you realize the machinations that allowed for there to be this sort of Achilles heel on this giant Death Star (coughs) based on the trailers or is it a spoiler? Should we reveal it? No, I, I didn't know what the machination was. Or, I knew that the Death Star had a weakness. Mm-hmm. 
I, I thought they did a good job of explaining that. That might have been one of the strongest points of the whole story. Okay. But that's something we should probably save for later? No, I don't think it really matters. Well, basically, the plot of the story is uh, this... Well, well, here's the plot that I wrote down. We'll, we'll see if this is accurate or not. A robot and, and some people go someplace to get something, but first they have to go somewhere else and find out what to get before they go get it. Then they go somewhere else for some other reason, and then some explosions and stuff, and then... <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Wait, I have to I have to bleep out that last part. I think I'll bleep out that last part. But is that is that pretty much the uh, is that the plot there? Yeah, they have to go to. <laughs> ooh, look, we have an ice world ish. Ooh, we have one that's always cloudy. Here we have a desert. <laughs> well, the real plot is uh, the thing that that starts starts it all in, into motion is Felicity Jones's character, uh, Jen. That's <laughs> the only character so. I didn't write down. <laughs> Yeah, she is uh, separated from her father, played by Mads Mikkelsen, Galen Erso, and uh, by the, I guess, the the villain of the piece, played by Ben Mendelsohn, Orson Krennic. He comes in, They he takes Mads Mikkelsen away because he becomes sort of like a scientist that designs the Death Star, and he puts in place this flaw, mm-hmm. this fatal flaw that will uh, allow for the destruction of the Death Star because it was always a big problem for a lot of people in episode four that they have this giant weapon that can destroy entire planets, but they're able to get in there with a little photon torpedo, find an exhaust somewhere that will allow this Death Star to blow up. So I think it's in a way it's sort of a happy coincidence because I'm pretty sure George Lucas didn't have that plot, that plot in mind. In fact, I think it was one of the special effects guys for the original movie that, that came up with this idea, this concept. Yeah, Chris Wetz, I think, yeah. was the guy. He had pitched this 10 years earlier, and it had gone nowhere. But when uh, Star Wars was sold to Disney, he decided he needed to try writing it again. Uh, and it worked pretty well. Tony Gilroy apparently also worked a lot on this, yeah, both I, I, as a uh, screenplay writer and also as a director of a lot of the reshoots. No, it, that makes it, sense. It's going to be interesting as the months follow how much of this film was Garth Edwards' actual vision? And well, how it, much was this changed? He, in interviews that I've heard post, um, you know, since the movie's been out, he's allowed as to how it's mostly his vision. I yeah. mean, uh, and I don't know if he's like towing the party line or if uh, this is something Disney wants him to do or if he really wants to say this. For me, I found a, vi- a big tonal shift at some point in the movie. Uh, and at that point, it seemed more, uh, more like episode seven and less like something that I like. And after about 65 minutes, the movie sort of veered off for me. But up until then, I thought it was a very good story. I was interested in some of the characters, some of the new characters. Um, I guess Forrest Whitaker plays Saw Guerrera and he is the, he is the person that adopts, uh, Urso. Felicity Jones character. It's going to be hard for me to to know all these names of all these different people. But then when she gets rescued, there's the robot AI sort of character played voiced by uh, Alan Tudyk, who is a K2SO, I think is the name. Yeah. I felt like they punched his character up a lot in reshoots. I thought to have a lot of little quips and a lot of that was just framing wise where he's the only character in this on the screen. 
but to a good end because that actually allowed for some levity in an otherwise somewhat dark and dour film. Maybe, but his character was too erratic for me. Well, yes, we we uh, there are a lot of problems with it, but at least that part was there in terms of trying to okay. create something enjoyable. That, that's fine. So that Saw Gerrera and then the other pieces of the sort of puzzle, this rogue unit that gets together to to go and find the plans are played by Diego Luna, who plays Cassian Andor, which is sort of an anagram of sorts for Lando Calrissian, which was a main character in uh, Empire Strikes Back. So I thought it was weird that they were that spot on with his name, especially thematically how he works as a character is very close to Lando Calrissian's character. And I thought Cassian Andor is just, if we're going to have Cassian Andors throughout this movie, that, that type of naming convention, then it's going to be pretty oppressive. But the rest of those, these guys seem to be off on a different um, tangent. And we have Riz Ahmed playing Bodhi Ro- Rook, who's the, the, a fighter pi- or a Imperial pilot or something. Uh, and then my two favorite characters in the film are Donnie Yen and uh, Wen Yang playing Chirrut Imwe and Baze Malbus. And I thought that they were effective characters in this movie, and I, I would have, I, I wouldn't have mind seeing more of character building with them. Yeah, we keep getting the token Asian characters that show up. I'm not sure if it's just token. I think it's all. This is all. This is an ode to diversity. Now, I thought this was an ode to we want our film to be uh, opening in China in one of the 32 <laughs> films that they decide to show. Maybe that too, but. In terms of, I don't know, appealing to a broader audience, uh, that, that's not a problem. I, I don't see any no, yeah, I, big I, issue with that. I, I thought they were interesting. My only big problem is the one guy is able to beat up stormtroopers with a stick. <laughs> okay, it well, just but you, it's just it's a stick. You couldn't come up with some cool weapon. Like I thought in episode seven, they had some interesting weapons. Like there was the one stormtrooper with that uh, baton that's mm-hmm. electrified. Mm-hmm. That was kind of cool. I was waiting for something that looked cool in this film and never really well, got arguably Bay's Malbus is uh, weapon has that sort of, uh, appeal. Uh, yeah. That, that the sort machine of gun that turns into a shotgun later. <laughs> yeah. He's got to start pumping it. It was like a uh, super powered super soaker, but the squirt gun, <laughs> the point with, uh, Chirrut Imwe, the Donnie Yen character, is very different. I mean, he's he's a blind character and he's operating. I mean, he's using the force as a weapon. So, I mean, to to do fan service with respect to the religious aspect of Star Wars films, it doesn't matter what his weapon was. I mean, he could have just as easily done it with his bare hands. Really? I mean, if they, they decided to go that way, you, you would have been just as... You would have to have been just as willing to suspend your disbelief on that character if he had done it with his bare hands or if he had done it with... I'm not sure if he used any force pushes or anything no, like that. No, I, I, I didn't think he was truly a Jedi. He just had some sort of affiliation with the force. Well, yeah, he's he's a, like a Shaolin protector of the these magic crystals mm-hmm. that form the the weapon system of the Death Star and also the lightsabers. Yeah. So and he's got the force to protect him, but he also has a guy with a machine gun watching his back. Yeah. Did you see them as like gay lovers? No, I just thought yeah. they were buddies. You could have read that that way. Sure. You look at the film through that context. I mean, you're so dismissive, man. Uh, 
you can be dismissive all you want, but I mean, don't just completely rub it off out of hand and say that's completely, you know, erroneous reading. Because I think what this movie is trying to do is touch on all of those elements. It's got a female lead. I don't think that the movie ever actively tries to push either of those characters as gay. It merely has the two of them as partners. All right. I don't think that there's anything that Do you actually think that there's anything you, can, in... you can actively point to that says that they're gay. That's why I'm a bit dismissive. All right. Do you see anything in uh, Civil War with respect to uh, Captain America and the, the Winter Soldier? Supposedly their relationship is gay. Yeah, I've heard that reading and I, I don't see it either because I'm pretty sure Captain America kisses a woman in that movie. Well, I mean, they and could be is bisexual. And upset when his... Uh, uh, old flame Peggy Carter dies at the beginning of that movie, passes away from old age. Mm-hmm. So if anything, Captain America is clearly depicted as being straight. All right. So. Fair enough. I'm not, I'm not making the case that it is. I'm just saying yeah. that, that there are multiple readings there and they're, they're trying to, I mean, they're trying to glorify diversity and set up this ragtag group of special interests or like social justice warriors <laughs> against a, a giant empire yeah. of, Mostly white that, guys. Fine. I mean, and they have a lot of characters. I wish that they had gotten two or three less characters and spent more time developing them. I, I think that there are so many new characters that we're introduced to, you don't have enough time to develop it. This was one of the problems uh, in Street Fighter, the film, about the video arcade game, mm-hmm. and it had 12 characters. When the director first did it, he said, give me five. And he said, you know, two-hour movie, five characters, that's all I have time to go into depth right and the closer they got to actually doing the movie the studio kept saying well can you do seven how about eight and that just chips away at the time that you have to spend with all of these characters so this goes along with the arguments we've been having all along about different formats for presenting these stories and Mm -hmm. would this have worked better for you as a miniseries on hbo you know i i I was kind of thinking that that might have been better and then you have this film after you know we've gotten to know all these characters because like felicity jones Apparently, she's some sort of smuggler, and she's been arrested by Mm -hmm. Imperial forces at the beginning of the movie. We're not real sure how she got there. Right. There's 20 years or so that are missing, or 15, I think they say in the movie. Yeah, there's all that stuff, so. But then when you're going from planet to planet, what is a year? (laughs) Well, I guess that would be one of my questions. How long does this movie take place over? I think it's, they said, 15 years, so. Well, uh, uh, okay, it jumps ahead 15 years. Right. And she's but, 10 or so. But when we have Felicity Jones as her character. Yeah, I think she's for, 25. From the start of that to the end of the movie. Is that a week? Oh, Less yeah. I don't know. It felt like a more than a week. Because <laughs> in real time for me. Because <laughs> after the 65-minute period, I started to like, what? I, oh. I started to think like, what is to what purpose is all this crap? I just, I, I can point to the actual second in the movie when... My eyes rolled in the back of my head, and I just, I, I kind of had an Avatar experience. Oh, so you didn't really care for this movie? No, I'm in the position of, that you're normally in, where you have to try to defend things and okay. try to make a point. No, I, 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 I do not like this movie. I do see some worth to it, and I, I my, my biggest, my, my, uh, I don't know, my biggest defense of it is the fact that they're allowing artists to do their thing, and it's creating a industry where potential exists for something good. So I like the fact that there's multiple, um, I don't know, special effects houses and multiple actors across, you know, the whole world that are multiple, uh, artists and stuff that are getting involved 
And eventually some of those people are going to grow up to make other kinds of movies. But as far as being a, like a Star Wars thing, or mm-hmm. I think all of the elements that make it a Star Wars movie make it bad. They make it a, a less of a movie for me. And I know we're probably going to destroy our credibility with some Star Wars fans that are listening because you're very low on the movie. But well, I feel there was a point where everything that was in service to Star Wars was it. it not I'm not talking Easter eggs. I'm talking like Star Wars tropes and things that have that have to be in place in order for the movie to go or for the you know the whole trilogy to continue. Those kinds of things. I won't say they angered me, but they. They pulled me out of the movie, and, and I did not have an enjoyable experience with it. Okay, you, you, going back, you said you like that, though, that this franchise is letting people have some free reign to be creative. If anything, from some of my research I saw, it doesn't look that way. It looked like Gareth Edwards had parts of this movie pulled back away from him. Oh, no, I'm not talking about Gareth Edwards. I'm talking about the small houses that are responsible for, like, the the creature design of K2SO or oh, okay. I'm talking about special effects houses yeah. throughout the world and then like set directors. And I mean, there is a lush or the, I don't know if it's lushness, but there is a, there is an appeal to the set design of star Wars movies where it's, it, I don't want to call it retro sci-fi, but it, there's like a lived in yeah, Like you can believe that this universe exists and it's of a higher order than something like, over the weekend, I saw Hercules, mm-hmm. 1984's movie with Lou Ferrigno. Oh, the Italian version. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, that's it's laughable. It's almost, it's it's insane. But that came five years after the first Star Wars. The first Star Wars was so groundbreaking that, and the, th- the fact that Star Wars exists creates the potential for um, better movies to be told and artists to work their craft, so. I don't know. It's like a distribution of wealth. Yeah. But it, I guess it's, some into. of it's also, do you have the time to do it? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Star Wars now is on this production cycle of one movie every year. Right. And, and granted they're, you know, farming this out to different directors and everything, but that's still a tight schedule. That's a tight turnaround. And when they spend a couple months filming this and know that they're going to have to go back and do multiple weeks of reshoots. And it's more just, let's throw some stuff up on the board, see what works, what doesn't. And then we'll try and fix it. Apparently, there were big problems with the ending and even tone. Some people had uh, issues with because of the gritty nature of it. Well, you didn't seem to have the same issue with Suicide Squad, though. They went back and did all the resuits on Suicide Squad oh, after. I, I felt like I, they were noticeable. Yeah, but did they elevate the movie? I mean, you would. We don't know what it was like before. The end product that we have may have fixed a lot of the problems like i was going to come in here with a big defense of uh of studio interference mm-hmm. like i i found some other examples like originally like land of the odds and the original movie was supposed to have been real like mm-hmm. a real place until the studio interfered and then uh they they locked the director of predator out of the editing so that they gave over the editing of the, a lot of the action scenes that they shot to the writer and it made it a better movie, but cause he had, he had a lot of more fight scenes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Similar things happen with the matrix and things along that nature. So studio interference doesn't matter to much as much to me, as long as they're creating a decent product in the end. And then I can't really use any of these arguments because I think that studio interference created a situation where the movie became less enjoyable. It, it's possible. Me. I think it felt, rushed uh we went and saw arrival 
a month ago. Yeah. That was a movie that was in development for over five years. Mm -hmm. Went through a lot of reiterations and, you know, just working on it and, you know, finally honing it down and, you know, massaging out all those little rough spots. This movie had about two years to do that. And that's not a whole lot of time. Also, one of the lead guys who wrote the story, especially early on, was Gary Witta. And I liked the guy when I listened to him in interviews and on podcasts. I think he's a very intelligent man, knows a lot about film. I do not like his movies. Uh, he did After Earth, the Will Smith film, worked with M. Night Shyamalan and Will Smith. And I know then you're trying to please a lot of higher-ups and you know different masters, and that's difficult. He also did a movie, Book of Eli, which you really like. Yeah, it's a good movie. I don't like that movie. The The tone doesn't work for mm -hmm. me. The beats in that film, you know... Uh, the thing I could compare it to is like dancing partners. Sometimes the two people just have a different set of rhythm and you just, your styles always clash and right. will always clash. And I feel like if I had to point to one person in this film and go, here's where I, th here's where I think the problem is for me, it's Gary Witta. But and he's not even, he doesn't even have credits. Yeah. Story by. Oh, he's, okay. he's, he's one of the four people credit. listed. Yeah. All right. Sorry. And so I think he helped lay a lot of the bones of this story out. And from what I've read and researched, mm -hmm. and I think that's why like the character development stuff doesn't work for me. Hmm. You know, yeah, I, I, the bits of humor in there, those are some of the stronger bits. Some of the actions. All right. My problem is the worlds feel too small. Like we go to this huge city and we're on a single street the whole time mm -hmm. or, you know, uh, everyone keeps running into each other, even on different planets. It just so happens that everyone's always in the same spot. Right. And everything just felt incredibly small. I always felt like we were on a soundstage. Yeah. I mean, you can make the same, you could make the same arguments for Batman or, um, sorry, Star Trek. Like a lot of that mm -hmm. considerations that you have, I, I thought in the Star Trek movie, the second Star Trek movie, Maybe not the last one as much because it was the last one was a smaller story. This is very big and grandiose. Yeah, I, I can see that. But uh, like uh, Captain America: Civil War, that felt big and like a lot of more locations, and they really moved around. You talking more about the one? Those. Yeah, the last one. Yeah, with the fight at the airport, and but like. I mean, when you talk about the funnel technique of of telling a story, that movie got progressively smaller. And as a result, but, it got better. But this movie, you turn the funnel around. It, it started off kind of small, telling Yen Urso's story or whatever. And then by the end, it had blown up into this epic thing that that I found really distasteful. Okay. I never felt like it really got to epic status. Maybe I mean, when we talk about the end, the size of the different sides, always I had trouble understanding yeah. their numbers. Yeah, I'm talking about, well, this is a Star Wars trope, so I'm not revealing too much, but it is part of my disdain for the movie was, in every at the end of every Star Wars movie, there are going to be three battles. There's the battle between the, um, the, the main character and his or her adversary. Sometimes that adversary is the self, but in a lot of cases, it's mano-a-mano. Mm -hmm. uh, and then that's juxtaposed and cross-edited with the fight between the rebel Alliance and the stormtroopers on the planet surface. And then there's a third juxtaposition with, um, you know, out in space mm -hmm. and, there, and all of these things are sort of intercut. And when the movie went to that, 
it became a big epic thing. That's what that's my argument about the uh, okay. epic size, yeah. and and that's when I really, really got uh, sort of taken out of the movie. I guess I I saw that all that as fan service for continuing the, these sort of uh, patterns that you find in Star Wars. Mainly. Yeah, but I mean, you have to give people their action at some point. Uh, sure, and I thought yeah, some of that would have appealed to you. Maybe, but I I guess problems with that is at times it's like, oh look, the rebel forces are winning, and then all of a sudden 800 enemy ships get sent after them. Hmm. I'm like, well, they're done now. I mean, well, there are I only like a dozen of them. Some of this for sports, I, yeah, yeah, but that also seems to be in like episode 7, I felt the same yeah. way. See, I didn't really the, like the numbers seven, and the strategy. I never understand what's going on there. Um, and apparently, they found unused footage from the original trilogy. So, like some of those um, fighter pilots were from the seventies. Well, yeah, they and, hired and they show to up. Come back. Yeah, no they they brought they brought in uh, a character to play Red Leader. I think I wrote down his name, and he died a couple of months ago. But he he actually. They did face replacement on him, and, and they brought him in. Yeah, but I guess they found the footage. They used some of it, and then, yeah, they're using face replacement stuff. Drew but Henley. They're, they're, Drew Henley. Yeah. They're trying to call on these characters who then apparently show up in episode four and yeah. die. And Well, they're trying to make connections between the thing. Again, that becomes fan service at the end. So, I mean, usually you would come in here, and I'm having to def- – I'm sort of negative about movies, but you always, like – well, we want to say something positive. So, what positive do you have to say about this, if anything? Uh, uh, I now can say I've seen it. I can rank Star Wars, and I can say this is the best Star Wars movie I've seen. Or the worst? <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't. No, have I'm saying whole, what? What should people? If they're going the, the to Star 3D Wars, three D was pretty well done. I saw oh, three D so showing 3D. because of the way times worked out. Yeah, the three D finally pulled it out of you. Pulled something I'll, positive out of you. Because it's not, it doesn't matter what we say, if, whether or not people are going to go see this movie. But I know a lot of people listening to the show are enjoying it. I know uh, Tom W., who's a sort of a fan of us, he actually likes this show. Or he actually liked this movie, went and saw it twice. And he didn't. He wasn't too big on episode seven. Oh, see, I thought seven was big. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Does this make people excited for future standalone films? In January, they start working on a Han Solo well, when you say One. people, do you mean me and you, or do you mean just Star the, Wars? The, people? Just the fans out there, or is this something that people quickly grow tired of? This movie only made 160 million. Yeah, no, it was way off. Yeah, but it did was, rank 85, percent which is, I think it's harder to get 80s on, on Rotten Tomatoes than it is to get 90s. Weren't you saying this was going to be up in the 90s? I did say that. I, I was wrong. I, the, I, I thought this movie had a lot of potential, and I was surprised that it. I mean, if if you if you were to ask me, I'd have to give it a rotten rating. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't surprise me that it's not in the nineties. Surprises me that it's in the eighties. I think a lot of people are, are a, a lot of the critics probably cut their teeth on Star Wars when they were kids. I mean, they're my mm-hmm. age or whatever. Excuse me. So they have a lot of uh, built-in uh, sort of positive feelings for the franchise, and I think that this also touches on social justice issues that a lot of your more liberal uh, critics are sort of into. So it, it tells a message. There is a message there, whether or not 
uh, it's obvious. And and I think they like that kind of thing. So, But how long will they have an appetite for more Star Wars, I guess? Because this is only the second Star Wars film in the last dozen years. Yeah, but I... I are, 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 is the public still going to be hungry for these, and especially when they seem to be blueprint type movies? I guess if they're if they're good, they will be. But this isn't even good, and they're still it still had a top twelve opening for all time. Yeah, and but, it's going to be huge overseas. And it's I mean, even Gareth Edwards says you can call any actor anywhere and say we're doing a Star Wars movie. Are you in? And they'll say yeah, yeah. They don't even have to send them a script or anything. No one's going to turn that down. But, I mean, they're working on the Han Solo film that will be out in two years. Next year we get episode eight. They're working on a Boba Fett movie. Well, or maybe. It could be something else. I there's thought they signed actors to, to that. But, and then you guys start telling other stories. Are people going to want to keep seeing them? Can they spin off and do a more comedic movie? Or do you go for the crude, hard R, like Deadpool-like film? I don't think they'll ever do that because there's the whole toy tie-in. But they might go Droids Day Out or something. So could we do an R-rated film? Go to Moss Eisley. Potentially you could. I I think it's a a long way off. Like, they're still struggling with whether or not they want to make Logan R-rated. And that's coming out when? In a month or two? Uh, and it's March, February, think, March, yeah. and they don't—they don't know what they want to rate that yet. So it's going to be a financial decision one way or the other. And Disney—I don't know if Disney has any R-rated movies or any R-rated properties. So it would be surprised. There might be one. It'd be very surprising to me if, if within the next ten years they have an R-rated Star Wars movie. Do but, they? Do they have a PG then? Oh yeah, this is PG thirteen. Sure. Well, they already do, have cartoons all over the place. Maybe do not you Disney, do a but, PG Star Wars film? Oh yeah, there'll be a PG, there'll be a Star Wars Lego movie coming out soon, within the next five years. Okay, and I mean, I made this, I made this same exact argument two days ago about Avatar, that I didn't think that there was enough sort of interest, and that or that 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 movie or that franchise could sustain interest over five sequels, and you seem to bristle at that notion. Well, so, I don't think you give James Cameron enough credit as a storyteller. I never have. And he has been actively working on a script for a good three or four years. And he's working on the scripts for all of the movies at the same time. Which I think is a smart move. Objectively, one could argue that there is some saturation with Avatar or with this. I mean, there hasn't really happened with Avatar yet. And I'm not sure if it will or not. But I know that uh, with this, I mean, I've reached my limit. So if you're asking me if people have lost interest, I'd say, well, yeah. And if you go all the way back to Star Wars, our, our very first episode, I talked about how important Star Wars was to me in terms of my movie-going uh, sort of journey. So you're not really excited about eight. Or in no. three years when episode nine comes out, and that's the culmination of the third trilogy. No. I liked Ray a lot better. I liked Ray and Finn as characters. I mean, if you add in the droid BB-8, I, I kind of like that triangle of characters, but no, I'm I'm sort of I mean they've beaten me down. All right, at is the sixty-five one, minute point is one way. of the problems. They're not doing a good job of creating villains. Arguably, Darth Vader is one of the top three villains of cinema history. Yeah, a lot of people would say first. For okay, I, I mean, mean yeah, I mean you can make that argument. But last year, Kylo Ren, not a great villain. Well, he still has time to develop into a great villain. Maybe, but I mean, there was a lot of like emo Kylo Ren stuff right. going around. Well, Adam Driver's a good actor, so I, he, I he, he is. Past him. But 
okay, that one, it's 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 a fifty fifty. Right. There's some good. There's some bad. This movie, the villain Krennic. Yeah, he's a director of scientific research. He's a functionary. He's not a great villain. Well, the villain that they set up really in this movie is Grand Moff Tarkin, who is the. I mean, he's he's the the leader who actually usurps uh, Krennic's position and sends Krennic spiraling out of control. So, okay, and then he shows up in episode four. Yes. Okay. Peter Cushing, played by Peter Cushing. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, but <laughs> people I, I, are saying that that performance is. I mean, people are really lauding that performance by an actor that's been dead for twenty years, and they they say. I have heard some people saying that he deserves a uh, Best Supporting Actor nomination. That's fine. And I like what they're able to do now with resurrecting dead people and putting them in movies. I cannot wait for John Wayne to team up with Tom Hanks to do a Western together. So do you think when you saw Peter Cushing, or you didn't even know it was Peter Cushing, you didn't even know... Yeah, he looked kind of familiar. I'm like, mm. but was there something off about him? Because to me, he looked like a wax figure. Yeah, like something looks say. a little off. To but me. you didn't realize what it was. I thought it was face replacement because I had just been uh, teaching or showing clips from Tron and Tron Two. Okay, and I know that they have the ability to, you know, graft on a, you know, an a- another actor's face, you know, make you look younger. Right. Because uh, they they do that in the second with Tron Legacy film with Jeff mm-hmm. Bridges' face, so and that's a Disney film, so I know they have the technology. And then when I saw those pilots at the end of the film, I'm like, right. oh, I think I'm seeing the same thing again. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I was kind of aware, but they still did a really good job with it. All right, we can we can talk about that in some sort of spoiler okay. section. Well, I'm, I don't know if that spoils anything. No, no, no. Well, one of the main. There's a there is a big thing in the in, yeah, yeah, yeah. In, we've stayed away from that yeah so it but it falls along with this so let's go ahead and spoil some stuff man the man that hath no music in himself nor is not moved with concord of sweet sounds is fit for treasons stratagems and spoils I don't wanna spoil the since Star Wars spoiled your movie going experience no, let's spoil it, the movie. It's, Star Wars was exactly what I thought it would be. They, they were who we thought they were. Yes. In the, I, in the words of the immortal Denny Green. I'm, I'm wondering if there's some, I mean, there's, there's so much built in animosity that you have towards the franchise that it seems a little sad in a way that you can't just lay back and relax and enjoy some of the, some of the scenery and or not maybe not the scenery, but the 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 main thing that you seem to have a problem was the fact that uh, Chirrut Emway was able to knock out half a dozen or two dozen stormtroopers with a stick. Yeah, with a bow staff. But either way, that was visually the best action scene in the movie. Yeah, but when I go watch science fiction movies, I want there to be some science. It's not science fiction. It's science fantasy. It's not even yeah, it's fiction it's fantasy. Soap opera in space. I, yeah, I know. That's what it is. It's it's Lord of the Rings. It's you, I'm not you, a Lord of the, the Rings Martian. fan. I, I know, but I'm saying visually, that scene and that and the setup and the shooting of that, the staging, the blocking, I mean all the technical stuff, seems to me like you would enjoy it. I think if it were any other movie you wouldn't be having as much of a problem with it. And same thing like at the ending when the star, when the spaceships are flying around and stuff is happening. Some of the things that you like in other movies mm-hmm. that you're willing to give a pass to, you don't for this movie. 
Okay. So I didn't I'm, like I'm Felicity wondering. Jones. No, I'm talking about special effects stuff. No, but but I'm Visual saying effects. I never got into this movie. I never cared about these characters. I, there was never any development. There was never any reason for me to like them. There was no um, save the cat moment. You oftentimes do that in you know movies. You, you give us a reason to go. Oh wow, the uh, hero of this film. You know he or she's a great guy. You know whether it's Tom Cruise when he's being chased by um, the other cops in Minority Report, and one of them's about to fall off a ledge, and he holds on to the guy and makes sure that he's got you know a good grip before he starts to try and run away from the other guys. You know. Tom's still a good guy. I can like him. Right? Yeah, but then he he pulls the the regulator off of the guy's pack and he goes flying probably three hundred and fifty feet in the air. That guy's dead. The guy he saved is dead. Yeah. So I I get what you're saying. I but get what you're saying. She's the, a weak character. I mean, the first time we see her, they're like, "Are you good? We're here to save you." And she's like, "Thanks." Smashes the guy in the face and tries to run off. Right. We don't understand any of that. You're no. just playing catch up with all that. But there was never a moment where I'm like, I should like her. No, I I, I agree. I didn't like any of them, but I did like. M. Way Shirat and Baze Malbus. And I did like K2SO. I liked him. Yeah, and then I don't care for all the religious stuff. I just think that that's silly. The Force? So yeah. if you're not into the Force, then you there's no I'll, way you're going to like Star Wars I, I, I can't get into the mysticism stuff. I just... It's fine. And I don't want that in science fiction. I don't think that this has a whole lot to say about us as a society. I realize that there are some themes of, you know... I thought that's what the movie did best. The okay. themes. Uh, yeah. I mean, the themes dealing with relationships and setting up this character, Casey and Andor, as a person that has to justify following orders in some sort of way or, or not following orders and then having to deal with the ramifications of being a soldier in a war who makes a has a crisis of conscience and chooses not to follow a certain order, the effect that that has on him, I thought that that was compelling stuff. Whether or not you're going to run and hide from a certain thing or try to ignore a situation and maybe it'll go away, that's always that's that's just a bad choice. And this movie deals with that. Like I said, thematically, there's a lot going on. Maybe they didn't do it as better as well as some other movies have, but at least it was there and there was enough meat on the bone, so to speak. So the the only time I felt myself really pleased was really three quarters of the way through the movie and one of my students on Friday had told me this film ends two minutes before the fourth movie begins or like right before and I was like oh well thanks for the spoiler man and then so I'm watching the movie I'm like well I know where this is going to end and I thought I don't know where the fourth one begins that's what I was saying so what difference does that make yeah, so I'm like Meh. I mean I really figured spoil it out anything by the for because <laughs> I kind of know the Star Wars story I was like okay I got this all right, well, let's get to the end because uh, that may be the thing that Tom W. likes most of all, the reveal of uh, Princess Leia when she turns around. What was, the, what was the effect that it had on you, if any? Did she look real? A little waxy. She looked horrible to me. I don't, I, so I don't know what she so really bad. looks like in the in the. Uh, I wasn't comparing hope. her to that either because I haven't seen that movie in 20 years probably either. I mean, maybe I have in the last 10 years, but I'm just saying that the special effects work on that seemed rushed. Same sort of argument that you were making earlier. And if they had stepped back on some of the spacey flyby stuff and the crashing Imperial ships and all that, if they'd have, if they'd have cut back all of that cra- in the force field surrounding the planet, if you'd have pulled all of that out and spent, you could have spent $200 million anyway, but done it with the face replacement technology and just made that better, then 
maybe it would have been more affecting. Okay, as, I thought proportionally scene. she was fine. If anything, I think it's an issue of color grading. Yeah, it didn't look good. But that's not a special effects problem. Well, it's a visual thing. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a visual it's all thing, about... but, but that's way after they're done with the effect. And there are lots of effects where if you look at the effect in the trailer, it looked so much better than in the final film because during right. the final film, they locked down the color grade and you yeah, know, made something too they, dark, too bright, whatever. They put out a, a rough draft as a final copy, it seems like. Or maybe they, they used well, up all, they thought it was good enough. And sometimes good enough is not that good. I, I felt like they were going for the old Hollywood soft focus lighting to make people think for a second, is that really Carrie Fisher? Like, did they just put her in a lot of makeup and try and make her look a whole lot younger? I think they were trying to go for that vibe. I think if they were going to do that at all, they should have just done it through makeup. And they probably could have found someone very similar to her. And I, I know they, they found an actress uh, that has the same proportions. And they used her face as a... Uh, uh, I don't know, a canvas mm -hmm. on which to paint this stuff. I just thought it was too obvious. And then if it doesn't cross the uncanny valley for me, then it's, it, it, it causes, it's like putting a, it's like putting a question mark at the end of a, of a sentence where you need an exclamation point. That's fine. I, I, I think that you always sad. have a problem with effect shots that you know are not real. You, you just sometimes have trouble accepting those. And, that might be a problem for Uncanny Valley. That might just be uh, psychological. Well, if you had just put a regular character in there that sort of looked like her, a regular actress, and you didn't try to smooth it over, then I... But I, I recognized it as warmed over computer-generated imagery, and as such, it... I mean, yeah. I I didn't like it. I Don't you like, though, that they're not recasting these parts? Because as soon as you start recasting the parts, people go, oh, look, Disney wants to remake the original trilogy well, with they won't. new actors. No, I, no. I think you could have. I don't think. I think you might have been able to get away with leaving that part out. Or, yeah, but that's the book, and that's what joins it up to the fourth film. I mean, we already know what it is. We already see. I mean, once they if, make if it, she into had that never ship, turned around. They could have would had that a different. Have been all right. Hmm. I I don't know. See, that's a good question because for some people, no. For me, probably yes. But I, I enjoy ambiguity in endings anyway. So one of the problems you had going into the movie was you didn't know. You thought that it was inevitable. The ending was in it. We know how it's going to end, so there's no suspense. But the fact that they effectively killed every single character that we followed through the entire movie, that was pretty bold. I mean, I admire uh, that that stroke. Yeah, I, I can appreciate that. The way they killed some of the characters is just stupid. The, yeah, the characters decide to not run anymore. Forrest Whitaker could have survived earlier in the film. Right. It was At lame. the end of the movie, Jen and Cassian could have found a ship, or at least tried to find a ship to fly away. Don't you think Instead, that... Instead, uh, they wander out into a pond. No, don't you think that, though, that Saw Gerrera, Forrest Whitaker's character, just sort of was ready to die? Yeah, I'm just not going to run anymore. Yeah, but, he just doesn't want to. But I yet, mean, he's, he's, he's half machine. He can barely breathe. He's sick of it. He's over it. I think that the movie gave you an answer to that without fully answering it. I didn't have as much problem with that. I didn't have any problem with any of them dying because I didn't really like any of them. So <laughs> then I, I don't understand Forrest Whitaker's motivations earlier in that scene to try and get information out of people. And he's a true believer. He he want he doesn't want the empire to to win. He's a he's a so he's warrior. a true believer. He's a rebel. But he's just tired of fighting. So he he's just old gives and, and he figures that this is the next step to getting it. 
The thing that surprised me was when they killed off the robot because they, in dialogue, they allowed as to how he was going to survive. He's like, I mean, that was one of the best lines in the movie. And he says, uh, well, if we try to enter through this force field, all of you, everyone's going to burn up except for me. I can exist in space. <laughs> so I assumed that, okay, well, that's setting up as foreshadowing for this guy oh, to actually continue. Him out into space with the... Well, they could have, blueprints. but no, they blew them apart. Well, that's the other thing I don't understand. As but, soon as they get the blueprints out there, you got a thousand ships in space. Why aren't you sending the blueprints to all thousand ships and say, everyone go in a different direction? I don't know. What, like, whatever happened what, to what, Wi-Fi? Yeah, why is why it only be a floppy one disk? copy? <laughs> they got it on floppy disk. Yeah. <laughs> they, don't have, they, don't, they don't have fast-moving internet connections I mean, I, I like Verizon. you're beholden to the plot from a movie in the 70s right. pre-internet. But they didn't know that. That's where you know, it doesn't it's kind work of that, terribly That's well. not fair. That's putting up a plot hole that you, they you have, have to do. thousand ships. I know, but... Oh, we gotta get this to Princess Leia. That undermines the entire trilogy. So you, you you realize that you can't do that. You can't start pointing out plot holes that would make everything else that follows uh, non-existent. The thing that that has always bothered me, and I didn't really care that there was a weakness in the in the Death Star when I was a kid. It didn't bother me as as an adult. It didn't bother me because I saw that as mythology. Everything has a weakness. Achilles heel. So. The fact that they could find plans that would allow them to to sort of take advantage of this mm-hmm. was not a problem for me. The problem for me is how do you what is the propulsion mechanism for the giant death star to get them from planet to planet every time you turn around, the death star's showing up somewhere, and they never they never discuss that. I don't know if they've ever discussed it in any of the movies how this death star just kind of shows up at this these planets at times, and then in the first one, I think, yeah. It shows up and then they have to wait like twelve minutes or something for the for the for the planet to rotate before they can fire off the Death Star. Well, I, I why didn't they just if they're going to light speed somewhere? Why don't they just light speed to that side of the planet? I, it didn't make any sense. It never has made any sense to me. But you have to suspend your disbelief. It's a okay. fantasy. I, I had lots of trouble with the way that they were able to instantly travel across the galaxy again to go. And then my thought was fantasy. Wow, if the rebels can travel here in a minute, why hasn't the Empire ever just gone to their planet and blown them up since it doesn't really take any time? They don't they don't know where the where the rebels are. That's another problem I had with it, is that they were all in one location. Yeah. It, when she when she gives her uh Saint Crispin's Day speech, when Jen Urso gives that little speech of hers. Which was good writing. I don't know if like plot wise it worked for me, because that's the point really when I I tell you when it was. For me, when she just when they say we're not going to fight, we're just going to run. She goes out into the hangar, and she sees Chirrut Mway, Baze Malbus. I think even K two S O is there, and they're like, "Well, we're, I, I think Bodie's there." So there's like four or five of them. And they're like, "Well, we're going to go try to find this. We're going to go do this thing. We're gonna, we're going to go get these plans." And then she turns around, and Diego Luna's character Cassian Andor is standing there, and he's like, "We're going to go with you," and he's got. 25 people with him surrounding him like these other rebels Mm -hmm. and they that's when the thing got big bigger than it needed to be and it didn't it wasn't a heist film at the end it was a sort of a war movie yeah well that's i had a problem with they had one drop ship full of guys and somehow they're able to attack this planet all (laughs) over stormtroopers and and then there was a a shot because someone went 
It's kind of unbelievable that these guys are able to fight the Empire for so long. Oh, well, we'll bring them reinforcements, and three guys get dropped on the planet. Oh, see, I, I, three. I, at that point, I was so far out of the movie, it didn't matter to me. It was so, and then, then these other guys start dropping off, and they introduced a new character there at the very end, uh, who looks a lot like these other guys. And then he was doing some heroic thing. I think he took his helmet off, and he was kind of bald, so you could tell the difference between him. But I couldn't tell the difference between Cassian Andor, Bodhi Rook, the the mm-hmm. fighter pilot. Uh, I mean, the Chinese guys, I could tell the difference because they were very, I mean, they were stylized very differently. But these other rebel guys that were, you know, making the same sorts of sacrifices. They, they didn't look, and then he's running around grabbing a cable or something. He's got to pull a cable from one end of the beach to the, to the ship that gets blown. I, it was all just gobbledygook and, and ridiculous and, and annoying. I was, I was perplexed as to how annoying it, it actually wound up being. So, anyway... <laughs> That's my defense of Star Wars. That's great. A Rogue One. <laughs> you know what the best thing is? We don't have to deal with Star Wars for another year. I mean, do we really? Do we really have to ever deal with it again? I'm happy to never do a review of another Star Wars film. <laughs> All right. I'll trade off not having to review Star Wars movies for Avatar movies. That's if I don't fine. have to Avatar's Avatar not movies. even coming out for three years. You have high hopes <laughs> for the longevity of this podcast. <laughs> if I... This movie did not make me want to see other Star Wars movies, so whatever. Agreed. I don't care. <laughs> Agreed. But neither did Jurassic World make me want to see other Jurassic you World movies. You, sir, are wrong. <laughs> you are wrong. Jurassic World yeah. is amazing. Because you want science in your okay. science fiction. I could have watched Nocturnal it. Animals ten times over. I'd rather do that than see this movie I, I can't even remember time. Nocturnal Animals now. What is not uh, The film we did last week. <laughs> This movie erased all that. All right. So there's good stuff coming up soon, though. Yes. You don't have to go see Rogue One based on our recommendations. But if you want to, when you get there, may the force be with you. (laughs) So for Mr. Ryan Bull over there. There be dragons. uh, I'm Richard Lusk. Fox Advotum, everybody. Are you going to the movies this weekend? Let Laugh know what you saw. Send in your review by emailing the show at thelaughpodcast at gmail.com, tweeting at the Laugh Podcast, or messaging us on facebook.com backslash the Laugh Podcast. The best comments will get read on a future show. Testing, three, two, one. Get this over with, don't you? No, I was just doing sound. If you got stuff you got to do. No, no, no. I'm just playing, trying to get together my my show notes. Just got to be sure that we have a rousing conversation (coughs) about About Star Wars. It's not Star Wars. It's Rogue One, a Star Wars story. story. Yeah, I've got some questions. I got to wait till spoilers to get into. Right. Like, do you think they did a good job of creating new characters for the Star Wars universe? <laughs> because they're all dead, you mean? Yeah. It's good. Good stuff.